Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, Kira. Thank you for being on the Not A Mommy Up podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Regretting taking a bite of toast right before we started. (laughs) That's okay. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today because it's about a subject that, like I was saying, isn't people just don't know about it unless they're actually going through it, which is foster care and fostering to adopt. Um, So you're already a mom. You have a two-year-old, right? He's two. Um, 20 months, but yeah. 20 months. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Almost two. So... Did you guys always know that that was something that you wanted to do for your second child was foster or adopt? I actually wanted to do it for our first child. I, growing up, never really thought of myself, like I couldn't conceive of a future in which I had my own kids. I always wanted to. I was like, okay, if I ever have kids, I definitely want to adopt them. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really quite know why I felt that way. I do know that I was very afraid of childbirth. And I think part of that was because my mom had always described it in such horrifying uh, detail of how (laughs) awful it was yeah um and I am not great with pain anyway and so just like the combination of those two things sort of like I can cut out that middleman altogether and like happily just adopt and yeah would be just as happy so um we know when I met my now husband I told him like just you know like I'm really not interested in ever getting married or having kids like that's not kind of the future (laughs) I see for myself and um it's like, okay, well, that's problematic because I really want a family someday. Um, and then as we started dating, you know, for more time, I fell in love with him and I wanted him to be my husband. And I understood what it, I understood that shift happened in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did start really conceiving of myself as a mother and having a family with him. And I told him that it was very important that I adopt. And I, because I've always wanted to do that. And he said, well, it was very important to him to have his own uh, kid. So we decided that we would have our first child biologically, and then adopt a second child. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had our son twenty almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Also, I remember before I had kids, I was like, why are people talking about their kids in terms of months? Even, like, <laughs> after a year is insane. But it's <laughs> – but now I get it because I have a kid, and it's like he's not – there's so much developmentally that happens in one month with a kid under the age of two that like you can't like, I wouldn't describe him as a two year old because he can't do a lot of the things a two year old in just four short months. He will be doing things that a two year old can, but can't do it yet. Totally. Um, And I've seen that with like little cousins and nephews and nieces and things like that. It it definitely makes sense. It just sounds silly, especially to people without kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, roll my eyes. Just say two years old or whatever. (laughs) Get off it. But there's a reason. Yeah. Um, And the first three years are the most. Yeah. There are the most changes, even day to day. Day to day. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, He just started saying two word sentences. And like that is like obviously brilliant and extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, he, uh, so he's 20 months. And so pretty much well uh we tried for w- one month to have him and the first cycle um you know I got my period and I was like okay so when are we going to talk about just adopting yeah. and he's like okay we need to give this some time yeah. I was like I'm ready to have a kid now I don't want to wait and I also I just I know how long these things take 
well, how long it takes to adopt. So if if I'm infertile or if you're infertile, then like we should probably just like start getting our names on some lists. And he was like, okay, you need to chill out. The next month we got pregnant and it was fine. But when he was three months old, I started like looking into adoption because I, mm-hmm. you know, to, to Tyler, my husband's name is Tyler. For him, he felt like we need to wait for at least a year. We just had a baby. We don't need to think about the second baby, blah, blah, blah. But I always knew I wanted them close in age. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have a like a newborn when I have a seven-year-old. Like, I don't right, want a huge right. gap. Um, so, yeah, I wanted them to be close in age because I wanted them to be close friends. Um, I'm an only child. I have half-sisters, but I never lived with them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a magical experience to have if you can. So totally. I wanted to be able to give that to Rowan. And... Um, so kind of without Tyler, because he was like, that's overwhelming and way too soon. I'm, we have a three-month-old. I'm not talking about the next child yet. <laughs> I was like, well, I know how long it takes. So I started looking into it. And there was um, my very first improv teacher when I moved to L.A., Frank Cayetti, had um, posted a lot on Facebook about his uh, adopted son. And so I reached out to him and I asked him, could I take you out to coffee and just ask you about this process? And that's when I found out about foster care. So um is that what he had done? He had done that, yeah. So he had basically had his first biological daughter, and then he and his wife, who was a social worker, went through this agency called Extraordinary Families. They got certified, and they fostered their son, and they were able to adopt him within, um, I think, like a year or a year and a half. He became adoptable. Um, and so, so that was kind of like your first foyer into this world of yeah. understanding how it all works. And yes, yeah. So it must have been helpful to have someone like him who had been through the process. Yeah, I mean... And extraordinarily helpful. So yeah. I just really kind of just asked him like about his entire experience, just like you were doing here, like because mm-hmm. you I assume don't know much about it. So it's like yeah. somebody that's just has gone through it already, um, and that you know had been able to adopt the first, which was like obviously a hope for me because you're supposed to go into this system understanding that the whole goal is biological reunification. So you're right. supposed to be able to support family reunification, and. That is hard when you know that you eventually want to adopt through the system. Um, So, you know, and also me who like I like to I'm a planner in terms of like our lives and and things and like knowing that like I have a sort of limited time to foster before the age gap is going to become too great because Mm -hmm. we wanted to start with a baby. Right. Um, And I really wanted Rowan to have a close, um, you know, age gap between him and his siblings. So, yeah, um, he was able to adopt the first, which is not it's not unusual, but it's not um, usual, I guess yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Um, you know, you usually, we were trained to understand that we might have to foster like two to three kids before we get to adopt one. Um, so how did that <clears throat> process start? So you yeah. apply to get certified as a family that can foster a child. Yeah. So you can either do it directly through county. So it's like you do the classes on your own and you get certified through LA County or whatever county you, in whatever city you live in, or you can um, go through an FFA, which there's tons of abbreviation or acronyms in mm-hmm. this foster system. <laughs> I think it's Foster Family Adoption. I'm okay. not sure actually what it stands for. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, you go through an agency. Yeah. And so we went through the agency that Frank, my old teacher, had used, um, which is called Extraordinary Families. They're lovely. They're in, Los- they're in Hollywood. And um, we, I just took a train. We were like, I said, Tyler, I know we're not ready yet, but let's just go to an orientation. And, and at the this orientation, was when, he was th- when Rona was so this was when or? he was now like six or eight months old. Okay, yeah, um, and because uh, I'd reached out to them and they only did him like one every every other month or something. Got it. Okay. So we went to this orientation, you know, on a Saturday, and we left, and both of us were like, "Yeah, sold." Like we don't even want to kind of look into straight to adoption because um, this system needs people so gravely. Um, yeah. Whereas 
adoption doesn't necessarily. I mean, there's just a lot of people that don't want to go through the heartache of having to take a child into their home and saying goodbye to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's a lot of work. Like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do to not be able to keep the kid. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, how do you emotionally safeguard yourself from that experience? Because I know that's yeah. so, that happened to you the first time with yes. your first baby that you got. And yeah. Of course, like you know, like you said, going into it, you know that the goal is biological unification with the yeah. family, but that must be so like taxing. Of course, yeah. more on the child than anyone, but but like you guys yeah. are mindful of what's happening. Exactly. In yeah. A different way. I mean, I think there's a lot there. So I think that I uh, went in feeling like, how will I ever be able to do this? And then through training, so you go and um, we took the orientation, then we signed up for training like the following month or two. Mm -hmm. And training takes um, a couple months. And it took like six months to get certified. And that's that's being motivated. Like people can take up to a year really because it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of people coming to your house, interviewing you, assessing your home. Mm -hmm. You have to make a lot of adjustments to the like things in your house and the way things move. There's so many. Yeah, Yeah. there's just so many like... um, you have to put all your knives in a locked box. You have to have a locked medicine cabinet, um, like a medicine cabinet for your in your fridge. You have to like, um, you know, have emergency supplies, and you have to have a fire extinguisher and then first aid kit. Just the things that like you would are good to be prepared with. Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily the average Joe, even with so many things, were like, but we have already kept a child alive. It's yeah. like they don't care. They want to everything every. Every piece of the training is there because someone has abused it and there's been a problem down the line. So, like, they've safeguarded it by being super extra careful, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. So, yeah. in the training, we were taught that it's extraordinarily important to support the idea of family reunification because so many of these parents came from foster care or came from a broken home. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we sort of think of them as, like, how could you possibly have done drugs while your child was in utero or how could you possibly have neglected your children or, or, or abuse them or whatever. But a lot of these people like abuse begets abuse and neglect begets neglect. And a lot of them are um, not given any sort of tools um, yeah. in their lives. Really. I mean, a lot of them are, are grow up homeless. I mean, it's, it's a really broken system full of people that have come from an extreme lack of opportunity. So yeah, I actually talked to you on another episode, um, of the podcast to this woman who's the director of Alliance for Children's Rights. Oh yeah. Well, they were she works for Alliance of Moms. Okay. Which is an offshoot of that, which specifically focuses on people in foster care who are pregnant or parenting. Okay. And it's trying to break the cycle. Yeah. Um, by giving them the tools that they need, by teaching them how to like cook for their kids, how to care for their kids, like just letting them know that they're not alone when like their kid isn't sleep trained or whatever right, it is. Right. To, because I'm because they don't have any mentors, so that's what they provide them with is basically Alliance of Moms has these people who come in and learn how to be a mentor for the moms or dads that are in the foster care system still. So they're young okay. and they have kids themselves. Okay. okay. Um, so it was really interesting to talk to her about that program. And so Alliance for Children's Rights is for the foster care system in Los Angeles specifically. And like, okay, I think, I think she said either California or Los Angeles has the biggest population of foster of kids in foster care than any other state in the U S. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, so it's massive. It's really needed. Here. It's really needed. They said that they had to start going to other counties to get pa- families certified because LA County didn't have enough parents ready to mm-hmm. to take kids into their homes. I mean, there and it's it's a constant, it's a constant need every day. Yeah. There's new kids, so um, so yeah, we just sort of felt like this is how we can be most of service. You know, right. I I knew that like I didn't need to like have another biological kid. I wanted to help a kid in need, and so I could either 
go far away from my doorstep and um, find a child, you know, internationally that needed a home or we could help somebody that lives here. Yeah. Um, and so just I think if I hadn't have had the personal connection with Frank and somebody that had like gone through it already and I used this um, system and this agency, then I don't know if I would have been as likely to. But mm-hmm. um, but because I was able to hear his story firsthand. Um, yeah. And we just loved the people at our agency. So that's important. Yeah. And how we safeguard our emotions. I'm still working on it. I really you know, it's not it's not easy if if our current foster daughter. So we're on our second. And if she is removed from our house. I'm not sure I can do it again because, like, we love her so much. Yeah. And we're so attached to her at this point. Our yeah. first daughter we only had for two weeks. So we were wildly in love with her, too. But, like, we just – we didn't get to know her that, that well. Yeah. Um, we didn't and you're getting, like, young – they're, like, a few days old, yeah. right? Yeah. Two, they've both been two weeks old when we got them. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. They need so much love and attention <laughs> at so that point. Much. It's like <clears> – <throat> Yeah. It's very intense. And so that's the other thing. Tyler was like, are we going to be a newborn groundhog day? Like, we can't do another oh, newborn because it's yeah. like – it is. I mean, sure, she's napping like an angel right now. Yeah. And she actually is the easiest baby I could can absolutely conceivable. But she still needs – it's a full-time job. Of course. And on top of that, being a foster parent is a full-time job because you have so many meetings. Like tomorrow I have to go to Long Beach for a meeting with her assessors of her, like basically how her development is, is doing. Is it on track and what they suggest and what they need if, the, if occupational therapy is needed, et cetera. It's so like the, the because county her mother was uh, abused, yeah, um, drugs while she was in utero. Got it. And so when that happens, basically any kid in foster care has that, especially kids that are exposed to drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, the county is great about the regional center coming to your house and like assessing them, giving them tests, saying if they need anything, it's all taken care of, it's all paid for. But that's a full time job to like support that. Of course. So yeah. there's a lot of meetings. Like I had just this morning had a meeting with our caseworker from our agency. Next week I'll have a meeting with DCFS and yeah. also our agency. And then tomorrow's this other meeting. And then there's court dates. And um, on top of that, her vaccines and doctor's appointments and everything else. So it's like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to keep, there's just a lot of paperwork. Um, right. A lot of stuff to keep track of. So, so do you think having already had a son prepared you in any way for this, it, like to help you? kind of prepare for that emotional part of all of this, mm. like having a new baby. I mean, you've been through that, so you yeah. know. Yeah, it's kind easier of, second time yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think if I didn't have a son already, I would have felt so devastated by the first baby leaving that I don't yeah. know if I could have done it again because I would have had an empty nest, you know. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens with this foster care system, I will always have Rowan. Like we'll all, we're all, we will already have a family unit. So it won't be like we're starting from ground zero where it's like, I can't imagine people that are perhaps going this route. Like I know this wonderful gay couple that are hoping to adopt the foster system and they had their first son taken away and taken away whenever reunified, but you know, kind of shadily and, um, they're devastated and, and now they have to start all over again. And I, I can't imagine quite how, much harder it would be if I didn't already have a kid. Um, that yeah, said, having I mean, another kid or having a kid already definitely helped prepare me for like, yeah, how intense the newborn thing is and, and that it's just like a matter of time before it's over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. she's like rounding the corner. She's a little over two months. <clears throat> and that's when things start getting easier. Okay. So, yeah. So there's there's definitely like second child syndrome where it's like, we got it's just easier like yeah you take less pictures of them and you um <laughs> are less intense about everything there's just things like that that I would have never done with Ro, you know with Rowan where it's like it's she's gonna be fine yeah, you know, yeah. a lot more relaxed about it <laughs> that's good yeah 
Um, and then with your experience with DCFS, mm. um, I w- read your um, some of your Instagram posts oh, like yeah, in preparation yeah. for okay. this. And <laughs> you talked about how with the first little girl that like the woman came to your door and was like, I wasn't paid for my overtime hours. So you have to go bring the baby back yeah. to the dad yeah. at 7 p.m. or whatever it was after yeah. work hours. And I was just like how could they put that on you? You're already going through this. Like you have to give the baby back and then you have to actually meet the father. And like, that's so intense. So how have you experienced a lot with that, with DCFS kind of being, you know, just having issues like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I thought not that I want to like rag on DCFS, but it's truly like the most poorly run system I've ever come across. Um, All government agencies have serious flaws, but like, there is no communication between any of the departments. And actually, I would really consider our current baby, Zoe, I'd consider her our third because we had a situation with the, our first call, which was DC, you know, our agency call told us about a potential kid. You have 10 minutes to decide. So this is what happens. DCFS oh or your agency calls you and says, so, for example, uh, baby boy, African-American, in hospital, exposed to drugs, but um, healthy and no withdrawal. Do you want him? And you have 10 minutes to say yes. And, and that's... That's kind of like a lot of information. Um, yeah. So like you 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 get that or less usually. Okay. So that's pretty much you know and we had asked for we knew we wanted a daughter so we said girl baby girl zero to I think we said six months maybe five months. Anyway, so they called told us about this baby girl. We had been waiting for six weeks since we were certified, so it was the the wait was kind of long. So this is the first call since we were waiting, and uh, we said I don't Tyler was with me, so we said we don't need to call you back. We say yes, you mm-hmm. know yes. So she said, okay, great. I'll call you back. I got to let them know because if you don't take it, some, there's somebody else. There's many people waiting, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the call's back and says, okay, DCFS is going to drop her off at your house at 4 o'clock. Uh, make sure you have everything ready. I mean, I know you do because they had to come and assess our house and check everything that we had. But we had, like, we wanted to get, like, a couple more bottles or something. So we yeah. ran out to Target and we were so excited and we ran into our friend. We were like, we're getting a baby today. Oh, my we God. called our parents. It was insane. We got all this baby stuff that we didn't really need, but we were just so excited. Picked out a name for her. Came home because because they had, she hadn't been named yet, I guess, or that's what we thought. Mm-hmm. She came. Uh, we came home. Four o'clock goes by. Five, six, seven o'clock. We call our agency. They're like, sometimes DCFS gets tr- backtracked, so I'm sure they're coming. Don't worry about it. Midnight rolls around. We're calling every after hours line. No one's getting back to us. DCFS, you cannot get in touch with anyone there anyway during the day, but never mind at midnight. Yeah. And no one, no one calls us. So we go to bed. And we're like, well, they just show up in the middle of the night. Like, what's going on? Next morning, I call DCFS, and she's like, oh, I don't know. This isn't my case, but I think she was going through withdrawal and needed more time in the hospital. But I don't know. I was like, okay, well, can I go visit her? She's like, at this point, that's, that's fine if she needs more time, but I want to go visit her. Oh, I, I don't know if I can give you clearance for that. We'll have to call you back. So I'm waiting all day. I'm calling. Finally, I just called the hospital directly. I was like, I'm this girl's foster mother. Can I come visit her? I just want to see her. At this point, like, I'm so emotionally attached. So is Tyler. We just want to, like, be with our daughter. Yeah. And just check on her and make sure that she's okay. So the woman on the phone was like, that baby, she's not in withdrawal. She's totally fine. She's ready to go right now. It's like, what are you talking about? I've gotten conflicting information from everybody today. But okay, can I come get her? Yeah, let me just make sure that the foster um, or that the agency is ready to release her from the hospital. Blah, blah. We'll call you back. I call Tyler. I'm like, we can go get her. He's like, that's incredible. I call my mom tearfully. We can go get her. Hooray. 
Five minutes later, I get a call. So this baby is ready to go home, but she's going to a different family. It's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I don't know. Something must have been crossed with DCFS this morning. They put out a call for her because they didn't have a family assigned to her. So we were waiting from last night. We said yes yesterday at four o'clock or whatever, like noon. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. It's somebody else, you know. So then somebody else calls me. She's like, I don't know what to tell you. When I got into work, she didn't have a family. It's like, isn't this online? Isn't there some, is this on pencil and paper only yeah, in one in the hospital? Exactly. Or is there some system? She was like, I don't, you know, she's like, there's a system, but I don't know what happened. And so Tyler was like, fuck it. Sorry if I can swear, but that's okay. he like got in the car and ran to the hospital because I was at an audition on the other side of town. <sighs> Luckily, I had to act like a maniac in the audition because I felt so insane. I was sobbing before I went in. Oh, my God. And uh, my husband, yeah, like ran to the hospital and saw her being taken away by the other family. And like his face fell so much that the nurse was like, is something wrong, sir? And he was like, that was supposed to be our baby. Like. I was hoping to talk to somebody that made this error and make sure that nobody has to go through this again. Yeah. And everybody blamed everybody else. So of like course, yeah. DCFS, it was the emergency place worker's fault. Oh no, it was the morning person's fault. Oh, it's actually the hospitals. It's like nobody talks to each other. So that was our first experience with DCFS. Then the second one, as you saw on my Instagram, mm-hmm. was insane. I mean, she the DCFS gave us like three hours notice that we had to say goodbye to her. And then she came over and she's like, yeah, actually, I couldn't get the overtime approved. So when the dad gets off work tonight, you're going to have to go meet him in a McDonald's parking lot and give the baby to him. So I had to wait until like nine o'clock and like went to some dark McDonald's like, parking lot. How do you lot. know it's even him? Good, good question. I mean, we like called each other. And so like we could okay. see that we were on the yeah, phone yeah, and yeah. whatever. But yeah, I mean, there's no there's no assurances in place. Obviously, like DCFS has to follow up with the dad within the week or something and make sure that He's got the baby. So, like, there's stuff on the back end that they're checking, but that's such a stupid and incredibly flawed and um, dangerous mm-hmm. way to handle the business of, of child it should not have been up to you. Like, for no. all they know, what if you just decide not, not to? Not to, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I could have done a runner with her exactly. or whatever. But, like, yeah, I mean, then I'd be in trouble the rest of my life. When yeah. I, called, I called the doctor to make an appointment with her, and I told her I was fostering. She's our foster daughter, and she's like, ugh, my advice run away with her and I was like uh, are you she's like I, I couldn't do it if I were you the only way I could do it is knowing that I could keep them <laughs> I was like well obviously I want to keep her but I also can't destroy my life yes um, and uh, future prospects for this <laughs> baby so we are on our so I counter is my third but yeah no I mean home. I'm sure it feels like that for sure yeah even if you didn't bring home the first it's, yeah that was a very intense first experience yes yes <laughs> so I don't really trust them and the foster parents that I've talked to said that that they've never experienced a DCFS officer that hasn't lied to them. So it's it's problematic because I don't really know. There's a lot happening. Their their goal is family reunification. Foster parents have no rights and no say. We don't even get to speak in court on behalf of the kid, even though they've lived with us for sometimes up to two years before, you know, you can testify in front of the judge to say where they should finally go. Mm-hmm. So you really, like, it's it's very odd. It's, it's um, you feel kind of used um, in a lot of ways. It's like, here you go, here's this kid, like, you're supposed to take care of it and, like, love it and also become very attached to it because that's only what's best for the baby and, and you, but also be for sure ready to say goodbye to it within a drop of a hat, um, and you got to be okay with that. <laughs> so it's, like, kind of a, it's tough. Yeah. It's a challenge. So when is there a guarantee of adoption? Like, how does that 
I cannot ever. find a real answer to this. I mean, in training, I was like, what percent of kids get adopted the first time <laughs> yeah. around? And they're like, like we cannot tell you. Yeah, they're like, every case is completely different. So we can't tell you that. We can tell you that 100% of people that want to adopt through the foster care system will adopt if you don't give up. But that can be up to like six kids. You can have bring six kids home. Um, I mean, it can be more if you just have a bad luck. I mean, I guess that's reassuring to know a hundred, like you yeah, will. Yeah, you will. You will. Something will happen because there will be some family that cannot get sober or really just don't want to be a parent. And But you also have to hope that that parent will hope if you want to adopt a kid, you have to hope that no other random family come forward because that's the other thing to worry about is like, oh, a grandmother can come forward or a random aunt in Santa Fe or whatever. Like biological family gets complete first dibs on any child, despite the fact wow. that you've been taking care of them and that you're ready to adopt them. So that I guess that's what's been moving forward more and more as judges have been more and more making decisions based on just just do biological family reunification, even if it's not the, necessarily the best. I'm in this foster Facebook group, and this mom said that she had had a baby for a year. She was totally ready to adopt. And the judge assigned her to go live with her 75-year-old grandmother, great-grandmother, who's already taking care of her 85-year-old brother who's sick. In what world is that better than being with, like, a loving young foster family who's ready to adopt? Like, I just, training tra training prepared me to, like, think that that was the good thing and that that was the right way to go. You know, would I want Rowan with a stranger or would I want them with my grandmother or my mother? Ideally, I guess with my mother is what I would have thought before going through this. But now I see how, like, much energy a child takes. It's like, my mom, my mom doesn't deserve to take, like, to have to take care of a newborn if something happens to us, like, she's in the winter of her life. Like, let her relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it just feels like a real misstep to give a baby. It shouldn't be that black and white. It really shouldn't, just because they're biologically related, just to keep it within the family. I just feel like a kid is going to have a better chance at a life with more opportunities and more, like, um, I don't know, health, <laughs> all-around health. Yeah. They're raised by somebody who's, like, young and ready and wants them. Like yeah. in eight, in ten years, when the grandmother dies, then what happens to that kid? That kid will be back in foster care. So like, right. where's the As like? It just seems like a very myopic system. It's like just fix it for right now. Yeah. But then what happens in ten years? So it's problematic. It's it's very. It's the whole thing is a gray area. Yeah, I think that once it becomes to the amount of children that are in foster care now, they really just treat them like a number, and that's when like problems start to happen yeah you need to be thinking about these kids as individuals and and I know I'm sure these caseworkers are so overworked and have seen yeah, terrible are. stuff and are jaded to a point where like they don't have the patience yeah. but at the end of the day it's like someone's life yeah. is on the line yeah. and you really have to treat them as individuals regardless yeah. of how much you've seen or been through totally. I mean at the, at the end of the day, these kids workers just go home to their house. Like, right, right. But these kids are going, like, I yeah. can't even imagine a, kid, a baby going to, like, a 90-year-old woman. Yeah, yeah. Like, my grandma, I think about her, and she's 85, and I'm yeah. like, there's Imagine no taking world. taking care of a baby. Right. There's no world. There's no world in which that makes sense. No, absolutely even not. Even if she's healthy, it's like, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, they are very much treated like numbers with the first baby that we didn't even get to bring home. When I finally talked to the morning worker, who's I think the one that made the error, she said, ugh, honey, if you want a baby, I'll call you tomorrow with a baby. We get babies every day. And I was like, 
that is not an acceptable response. Absolutely and what an not. insane thing to say to somebody that you've just put on the most um, intense, horrific, emotional roller coaster of her life. Yeah. We're talking about a, like a child and I'm ready to like bring her into my family. It's not just a baby. Like yeah. we named this baby already. We've yeah. created a story for her. Right. Of course. So that is the attitude. And it's because they all, you know, I know with my DCFS worker, I said, how many do you have? Should on any given day, we have 20 to 35 cases. So it's like per caseworker. Yeah. Per caseworker. It's an, and and it's, is their goal like by the by five o'clock to have them all placed? Like what's oh the no, system? I mean like in in varying states of like let's say somebody's placed here and you have to go check on them like probably ten so are placed and then it. there's yeah. constantly new ones streaming in. So I'm guessing yeah. they get like probably five new ones a day, but then like a steady stream of like the ones that they're working on. Yeah, already. I mean, this has always been so interesting to me, and I've I've definitely thought about this for my second child. Or if, or after my first, if I decide yeah. as an adopt to adopt, or I, yeah. I honestly never really considered foster care because I didn't realize, and maybe that's naive of me, to, like I didn't know you could foster to adopt. Yeah, I don't think I did either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you kind of just see in movies like foster families, and they're just like it's always these parents that just like have like ten kids running around, yeah. and yeah, they always like make them out to be the bad guys, and Completely. it's just it's terrible because those are really the ones making this whole system work these people that are willing to open up their homes I know and I think like they used to be very unchecked and so it was an abused system by poor people who found that this could be an easy way easy quote-unquote to make money Mm -hmm. um you don't make that much money you certainly don't make hardly any money if you have one kid it really only makes financial sense if you do a ton of kids and Mm -hmm. that's where it gets dangerous I think yeah um and I think now they're putting like you know caps on how many kids you can take into one home because you need to have a separate room for each kid or only two kids to a room or something like that yeah um and that's why there's all these intense rules and like it took a while to get us like certified Mm -hmm. whereas I think before it was very unchecked and I know that the mother of our current foster baby, her mother was raised in foster care. And mm-hmm. I think, oh, I know that she has a horrible view of foster system and doesn't want her baby in foster care, quote unquote, because she had a horrible experience with mm-hmm. it. So, you know, I think, and it's because, I mean, we're with an agency and they check up on us and we have weekly check-ins. But I think before and with people with DCFS where they've had 35 cases at a time, how can they be really on top of like, whether or not these kids are being appropriately cared for. Right. Um, There's not a lot of assurances there. Yeah. Or there weren't. So. Yeah. I mean, it took six weeks, seven weeks of having her before we finally had a a meeting with our DCFS officer. Like, that's kind of unacceptable. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Like, it's funny, you wouldn't necessarily always think that you'd be the one pushing for that check-in. Check but exactly. just but to like, know the system is kind of working. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's like, where are they? Yeah come check tell me that like we're okay yeah because ultimately like we want we want you to see how much we love her and care for her um because when it comes down to it if the biological family can't get it together we want to be the ones approved to be able to adopt her right I mean is there any like a kid would never be moved around unnecessarily right not unnecessarily no but um I think back in the day they were Mm -hmm. I think foster parents could be like ugh, too much trouble done with it but, like, they've made every attempt to eliminate that from... Yeah. We still could. I mean, we're not bound by any sort of law to, like, keep her. If we were horrible people, we could be like, ugh, we're not sleeping at night, so, like, take it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then how did it work for you um, to make those specifications of, like, that you wanted a girl of a certain age? Was that normal? Do most people kind of set those... No, they said you can, you can set parameters of age, sex, and 
uh, age, sex, and ethnicity. Ethnicity. Okay. So we said, I, I just I've always wanted a daughter. So you know, we had a, our first son, and so uh, you know, it was like not a question of yeah. asking for a, a girl. Um, and I wanted to have the most um, ability and time and chance to imprint on them. So I. That was one thing in terms of age. And second mm-hmm. thing, we wanted Rowan to be able to keep the birth order. So, like, keep him the oldest kid. Because yeah. we felt like that was most fair to him. Yeah. To not bring in an older kid to his house. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, we asked for zero to, like, six months. Just because. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I wanted. I really wanted to do the baby thing over again. Yeah. Because I loved it so much with Rowan. Yeah. Cool. So, thank you, Kira. That's, like, been amazing to kind of learn about all of this. It's, it's just, yeah, it's so far removed from our lives if you're not deciding to go through it but it's really helpful for people I think especially in today's world where we know or at least I'm very aware of the population growing at such a quick rate and us having three four five kids to me is no longer an option Mm -hmm. of our biological children Mm -hmm. like I think you know you can have two one for each of you that's fine (laughs) like I know I'm like so kind of like strict about it in my head but you know, there are plenty of kids who need a lot of help. And if you can bring them into a loving home and provide that with him and them with that, it's amazing. Yeah. So it's awesome what you guys are doing, you and Tyler you. and Rowan. Yeah, yeah. Rowan, Rowan loves her so much. Aww, She's so, so loving being a brother. It's really cute. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. Um, so I have three final questions that I yeah. ask everyone. Yeah. Oh, wait. Can I just say one thing about yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Um, I will say it's um, interesting because I think our families did not understand why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's been interesting to sort of navigate the like sort of generational divide of like, mm-hmm. huh, foster yeah. parent, why would you ever take a kid in that you can't keep? Um, and I think what we just keep coming back to is like, we're helping. That's all. That's all we want to do is like, even if we can't keep her, we know that like we have given her such a like warm, loving start mm-hmm. to her life. And one that would not have been that way at all if she were raised, you know, if she were able to have, you know, if DCFS had not detained her from her biological parents. And that is something that, like, will imprint on her for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, it's all worth it for that. So I I just think that, like, a lot of people can be scared off by the idea that you might not be able to keep the kid. And I just would really discourage that fear from overriding, like, the desire to do it because – no matter what, it's so important to like just to, it's so important to help somebody that needs it, um, yeah. especially something so helpless as a newborn. Especially that. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my mom about it. And like for a mother, I think it just like breaks yeah. your heart more. Like, I don't know what that's like, but to think of the baby and how helpless they are and just it's totally up to the adults around them. Yeah. Or to like yeah. make their life the yeah. way that it's supposed to be. So yeah. it's just. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's great for families like you guys to open up your home and, and help these kids because, and I hope one day I have the opportunity me to too. do something like that too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I can't wait to see and hear. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So the three final questions are first one is what mantra or words do you like to live by? Ooh. <laughs> Just say yes. Just say yes. That's um, a good one. Ugh, is that a Nike slogan? Uh, just do it. Okay, Nike. good. Thank God. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I hope that doesn't come up like I'm a Nike head. Um, yeah, just saying yes. Um, it's a, my favorite passage is at the end of um, James Joyce's Ulysses. It's actually what my husband used to propose to me with. Um, it's all about a woman. It's a monologue of a woman um, saying yes, 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 I will, yes. Um, so he quite leadingly uh, <laughs> proposed to me with that passage. But um, 
I think it's important to keep my heart and brain open to any opportunity um, or experience, especially those that do good in the world. So I love that. Um, yeah. And that's that really goes along one. nicely with being a foster parent, I think. Totally. Yeah. You, I mean, that's what you're doing yeah, yeah. every day is yeah, saying yes. yeah. um, And then we all know it takes a village to raise kids. Yeah. What do you most value in your community of friends and family that's who are helping you kind of raise Rowan and now your daughter? Yeah. Yeah, it's been very special because we don't have any family here and mm-hmm. it's we're really completely relying on our friends. And uh, it has been extraordinary. I mean, our friends have been the most helpful. They set up my I'm in this amazing Facebook private Facebook mom group <laughs> and there's 250 women. And I told them that we, you know, they went through the whole thing with us with our first foster child that left and they set up a meal train for us um, because I was like really struggling with a newborn and Rowan. My husband doesn't get home from work till late. So it's like there's several hours between daycare and bedtime where it's just me with both of them. Mm-hmm. And it's basically impossible. Yeah. <laughs> if she's awake and like needs to eat and he is needy at all times because he's a toddler mm-hmm. um, and or destructive. <laughs> that like uh, I was like, how am I also supposed to feed myself and them? Like it's not happening. So we had homemade meals dropped off at our doorstep like two or three times a week and um, like just and like fresh cake and cookies and just so kind and generous and like newborn clothes this this mom group has been a real savior like savior to me and I can't recommend highly enough if you become a mother to join a Facebook moms group there's also any question late at night I can ask it's like it's not just a Facebook group they obviously they're in real time helping me but then my friends, your cousin, I yeah. mean, has been extraordinary. She, like, helped plan a surprise baby shower for me Aww. when, you know, I didn't think of having one for a second kid who was not even born by me. But she and my, um, our friend Sam, like, threw me this sweetest surprise baby shower for, Aww, so nice. uh, for a foster daughter that we didn't even get yet. So that was so sweet of them. And, yeah, I mean, we really need to, like, rely on our friends because it's um, it's intense. It's way more intense with two than one. Um, yeah. And you hear that, but it is like very true. Um, just stuff that like we could be like, huh, we'll bring Rowan. It's like, ugh, we're not bringing like a newborn and a toddler to this thing, whatever it is. So yeah. it's just a lot more um, necessary to rely on our community. And mm-hmm. we have we have a great one. So that's awesome. Very grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah. The more the closer I get to wanting to have kids. Yeah. I am starting to really take the time to think about like the community that I have around me. It taught me the meaning of it. Yeah. 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 I talked to one other woman and she was like, it really, kids filter out the people that aren't supposed to be <laughs> yeah. in their life. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Like, the people that are meant to be there for you and for your child will be there. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. That's awesome. Um, and then the last question is what quality do you most admire and hope to instill in Rowan and Zoe? I have to say, I think a curiosity and enthusiasm about the world is the most important I think when he was very little, I was like, oh, I want him to be like a brilliant, I want him to be president or I want him to be a brilliant <laughs> doctor. I want him to be the most intelligent. Yeah. And I think that's phased into being, I really just want to create somebody who's kind and curious. <clears throat> Obviously like super woke feminist boy is like <laughs> high on the list of priorities. Yeah. But I think that comes along with being like, kind of that goes along with my, man- my mantra of just say yes. Like being like open to what, how unbelievably special this world is Mm -hmm. and how lucky we are to get to experience everything for I'm not even that into plants but like I have become very into plants in the last year Mm -hmm. and I taught Rowan from when we first started going on walks when he was a baby baby in my carrier I would pass leaves and I would say leaves to try to teach him the word and I'd like 
you know, run my fingers along the leaves. Yeah. And now whenever he walks by leaves, he goes, leaves, and like runs his finger Aww. along it. Like that's him like passionately, excitedly interacting with the world around him. Yeah. In a way that I've taught him. And that's so cool to it see is. that. That's awesome. In addition, he started saying more cookies all the time. And that <laughs> is like also what I taught him. <laughs> so cookies and um, curiosity. Yes, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I'm going to share in the podcast notes where people can find you. But if you want to share. Great. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Flame Like Me. And I also have a tiny letter that I write about motherhood and writing and life and travel um and that's also tinyletter.com slash flame like me awesome thank you <laughs> thanks